everything depended on the music, you know, whether it was like what kind of rock star was um, Bradley's character, you know, what kind of singer songwriter did, did Allie start out as? And, you know, it, it always, you know, figuring out who Allie was like pre pre pop star was a really fun um, adventure. Hello and welcome to Red Carpet Rookies. My name is Mike Battle, a film production junior working for studios in London. Each episode, I bring you advice and stories from film, TV and content professionals to help demystify and democratise the industries for juniors and fans alike. Thanks for joining me. Let's get started. Today's guest is costume designer Erin Benick. Starting on indie film darlings such as Ryan Flex Half Nelson, Erin has weaved her way through a multifaceted career, including projects like A Star Is Born, Drive, A Place Beyond the Pines, and recently Harley Quinn's Birds of Prey, forging enduring relationships with collaborators such as Ryan Gosling, Nicholas Windin Refn, and Bradley Cooper. Erin, it's wonderful to have you on the show. How are you doing? I am wonderful. Thank you for asking. Now, I like to ask my guests first of all, what did your parents do and did that affect your career choice in life? Ooh, I don't know if it affected it in, in a direct way, but maybe in an indirect way. Um, my father is a real estate developer, so he would find properties to build buildings, varying kinds of buildings. Um, and my mother stayed at home and raised my brother and I. And I think some, I, I don't, I, I'm still actually trying to unpack this because I'm raising my own children right now, but something made me very driven I'm not sure what, but <laughs> I was always driven from, you know, 13 on, whether it was being the best babysitter I could be or the best counselor or, you know, whatever I was sort of choosing to do. I was not, not the best, but I would just say work really hard at it, if that makes sense. So at what point did you want to become the best costume designer? <laughs> right. I knew that would sort of set me up for that. I don't know if I want to be the best costume designer. <laughs> <laughs> I am the best costume designer. <laughs> yeah, that's good. That's kind of competitive. Um, I'm not actually that competitive. Um, I would say that I I I right around the time I, I was a graphic designer at Penguin Books. I was designing books. I was out of college. I had studied graphic design in college. And I had been doing it for a couple of years. I had advanced kind of, you know, nicely. I, I liked the people I worked with. I had great benefits. And I sat in front of a, a, a Macintosh computer on Photoshop and Illustrator and InDesign for like, you know, 10 hours a day. And I just, something clicked for me. And I said, I really, I need more. I need to get out there more. I, can't, I don't think I can stay behind a computer forever. So I set out and started taking night classes at, FIT, which is the Fashion Institute of Technology in New York City. Um, and yeah, and I started taking night, class, night classes for, for fashion design. I think it was something I'd always wanted to do and had a passion for, but kind of, I felt like the, the fashion girls at college, they weren't my kind. I was, I was really nerdy and I liked to like stay in the computer lab for hours and make stuff. And I was just, and I was, I was, I was into the, the photojournalists and the photographers and the illustrators. And those were my people. And, and the, and the fashion girls were another, another group altogether. I felt like it wasn't my, 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 my people. And so I, 
I, I never followed through in college, but then after school, after I'd been doing graphic design for a while, I, I decided to pursue it. And so I went to fashion. I went to FIT for a few years. I think I did maybe, I think I did three or four semesters of like night classes, you know, pattern making, illustration, construction, all those kinds of classes. And then I started to realize that it was, it was the, it was movies, movie characters, I would say, that was really the, the, the in for me. It was seeing, understanding that, um, that a character could, could be portrayed in different ways by the way that, you know, they chose, they choose to dress. And that was kind of, that was kind of my connection to it. So I, uh, I reached out to, I had a boyfriend at the time that was a bartender um, at a bar called the Passerby in New York city. And uh, he had this producer that used to come in a lot. And one day I was there and I just said, Hey, love to intern on a movie. Could I do that? And he said, sure. Let me introduce you to the costume designer of this movie we're working on. It was called the Baxter. And, uh, and yeah, that was the first movie I interned on. I, I, I took two weeks, my two weeks vacation, you know, in America, they gave us a whole two weeks. Wow. <laughs> so I took my two weeks vacation from Penguin. Uh, and I went and worked for this costume designer for two weeks. And I was into it. I was hooked. <laughs> um, I sort of went back to work after the two weeks and I, I realized I had to like figure out how to make the, the shift. I wound up going to the set from like 5 a.m. to 9 a.m. And then at nine, I would like quickly run off to, uh, to Penguin, do my, my day there. And at like 4.30, I'd leave work a little early and I'd run back to the set and, and do more. And that was kind of like my school, my, my film school, really. Um, between that and then as um, as the years were going by and as I was meeting the costume designers from one to the next and, you know, PAing for them and then assisting for them, um, specifically Jill Newell at the time. She was an amazing, uh, one of the early, the first costumes that I really properly assisted. And she kind of, she actually found me on the Baxter. She replaced the costume designer who had actually been fired. And she came in and she was like, looking around the costume department going like what's like trying to pick up the pieces from the last designer and she just like looked at me and she's like you you know what's going on come here and she just like <laughs> took me under her wing <laughs> from that moment and i just i i she was like my mentor from the very start lots of people would say that working for penguin penguin random house is a dream job in itself. So did people question your decision when you were leaving it? I mean, thousands of people would want that job anyway. And you're going, right, I'm going night classes. It was a killer job. It was such a great job. And my parents thought I was insane. Um, they were like, you're, you studied this. You're doing this. You're doing well in this. Why Why are you leaving? What are you, why? And, um, but I kind of had no doubts about that. I knew that, I was already kind of peaking basically at like 23. I was peaking in, in, in that world. And I just, I didn't see a future in it. I thought, wow. So if I'm just going to design the hottest books, like I just, it just wasn't, it just didn't, it didn't hold enough of a future for me. And I knew that. And I was, I felt pretty confident about that. Um, 
you know, the money part was very scary because I was going from a paid, a paid gig to a freelance, maybe get paid, don't know how much you're going to get paid. And I was living in New York. So it was, that part was tricky. Yeah, I'm sure. When I was looking at your credits, it looks like you became a costume designer quite quickly, maybe on sort of indie films and stuff. Was it quite a quick jump or was it a rockier road? I guess I don't, I don't know how to um, compare it, you know, uh, but I would say the route that I took at the time, which was the early O's of the 2000s, the early 2000s, it was a time where independent film, if, if you could ascend and sort of track along the indie film circuit, you, you could ascend quickly. I don't know if the industry operates quite like that anymore. Um, I don't have the perspective to really actually know that. I, I, I don't think it does, but I'm not, I'm not hundred percent certain. And, and New York is different than LA and I live in LA now. So I'm not, I, I think that's something good to kind of ask people and, and from, from a different perspective, you know, entering in how they feel about it. But for me, what I can say was I, I was able to, join a group of people who were making independent cinema, who were making, you know, going from projects to project to projects, whether it was um, Half Nelson and then, you know, and, and, and moving along with, like I, I worked with Lynette Howell um, for many projects and uh, Jamie Patrickoff, um, you know, I, I kept working with them again and again. And that, and same with the production designer, Beth Mickle, you know, we worked together several times. And so this, this crew of us kind of, you know, it wouldn't be every single movie, but there was, it would consistently be, oh, hey, what are you doing? What are you up to? And then it would you know, be like, oh, the next project. And, and it kind of grew with this group of people. And I'm like forever grateful for this group of people because they were like my film student pals. And they were also my, you know, my start in the industry. So would you say to younger people coming up who are perhaps in the costume department or indeed any other one, that finding some sort of group that you can move with is good advice. I know it's, there's some an element of right place, right time, of course, in what you're Definitely. saying. But what do you think? On that? I think so. I think, I, think that's, I think that's an ideal way to be able to do it. I think it, you know, at the time I didn't realize I was doing that. I had no awareness. But when I look back, I, I see that's what I was, that I, what I had done. And that was a really great way to do it. I would definitely give that advice to people, you know, find people that you also just in general, creatively jive with and sort of love to talk shop with, you know? So it's a very organic process. You're like, Hey, let's go get a drink. And then you talk about, you know, the set and movies and characters and, you know, you're, that's your school is, is sort of happening around you. And, um, I think that that's what got me through. Yeah. Cause I guess the best you've mentioned it there already, potentially the best example of that ascending together group is half Nelson. Cause obviously yourself is now designing massive movies. You've got Ryan Gosling who people have heard of, and then you've got Ryan Fleck who's, uh, directing Captain Marvel. Exactly. So that group have obviously spiraled up through the ranks over the years not that there's anything to go up you know what i mean from indie for films sure. um from that film was there an atmosphere of you guys really working well together and something special about it because obviously it went on to massive cult success that movie right I, I i think there was you know again i don't know if we we were too aware of it because we were all so new at doing it we were all really young kids just 
doing it. And so I don't think we had so much awareness. We we actually had a half Nelson reunion <laughs> on Zoom. Oh, really? <laughs> COVID. Yeah. And it was, yeah, yeah. Jamie Patrickoff, um organized it. It was great. And uh, yeah, we really got to all talk about how that film was the start of so many of our, our careers and, and what, what things led, what it, what it led to and what everybody had done from the, you know, from the props person to the, you know, all of us, Jeremy Fallon and Beth Mickle and um, Leo Wong, the, the makeup person and all of us kind of how we had evolved, you know, from that movie. And so, yeah, it, it, it was, it was, it, it definitely felt, camaraderie. I mean, it definitely felt like we were peers making movies as opposed to, you know, just everybody at a disjointed sort of different place. That's really cool. And to my knowledge, that was the first time you worked with Ryan Gosling. Now you guys have worked a lot of times over the years and you've cultivated a really lasting relationship. How does it work from your perspective as a costume designer where you have to inhabit quite a vulnerable place with these actors? How do you build those relationships from quite a vulnerable place for them, arguably? Oh, Mike, what a good question. Really getting in there. (laughs) Uh, Well, it's important because it is, you know, I don't know if people realize how vulnerable um, that part is to movie making and to the characters and to the actors. You know, they're real people themselves and they have their own um, insecurities and, and, and things that they um, want and don't want to share. And um, yeah, I think, you know, I would say that the best way it's interesting, it's not, there there isn't like a, a, a special sauce or a secret recipe that I can, that I can say plainly, but I, I think it's just about being very, very much naturally yourself. Um, and everything that I would do had, had to feel genuine to me, you know, both from my opinions about the character, about the script, about um, how we were going to portray it. It had to sort of feel genuine. It has to feel genuine to me in order for, um, I think, for them to trust me. I, I could definitely talk more about it, but it it kind of it different, I think different actors are have different ways and methods. And I think one of the, one of the, I don't know if I call it a skill, but uh, something I lean on a lot is I, 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 I love talking to people and hearing their experiences in life. I think I, I want to share in, in other, in, in the actor's experience. And so I'm there for them. Of those collaborations, I think my personal favorite and many people's favorites is Drive, which we all love. (laughs) And the question I have to ask, sometimes there are questions I just have to ask, and I have to ask, what was the story of the birth of the jacket? Okay. We need to know. Need to know. Need to know. Need to know. Need to share. So (laughs) I feel like I've, I've definitely said it maybe before but I will I mean I have said it before but I I wonder if I've ever spoke it before I'm gonna have to think about that anyway when we were starting to do the movie drive I quite frankly did not quite understand the movie we were making the script is so was not the movie you see you know sometimes you read a script and you're like oh I can see the movie and then you make a movie and it it kind of is the movie you read and a lot of times or sometimes I should say 
you get a, a script like Drive, and then it it you have no you, you, it, it the two things didn't match up for me until one day. <laughs> Ryan came onto the wardrobe trailer. It was like very early on, maybe like even a test shoot day. And he played me the chromatics and Desire and a couple of other of those Italians do it better bands. And it all, for me in that moment, it all clicked. I went, oh, like it, the tone of the movie the colors of the movie, the vibe of the movie, it all like came together for me. And so I think right, you know, somewhere around that time, we started playing around with things. Oftentimes Ryan will bring in some inspiration pieces because he's, you know, been thinking about the character for even longer than I have. So, you know, sometimes actors come in and they're just been hired and you're, you've been in, at the project as a costume designer for way longer. And so you're sort of the, the wealth of information. And sometimes the actor has been planning with the director to do this movie for three years and you walk into sort of their experience. So, she, oh. you know, every, every, it's always different. Um, but on drive, he had been, he had been talking to Nicholas for quite a while and they, you know, they would, they would drive around in a car and listen to that music and talk about, you know, making that, you know, making the movie. And so he brought in a couple inspiration pieces, one of which was this Korean souvenir jacket. It was satin. It was not white. It was, I want to say like blue, I think, like navy blue. And um, it has like beautiful embroidery on the back, like dragons and um, really beautiful detailed embroidery. And they were, they were jackets the soldiers would buy in Japan and, you know, bring home from when they were stationed there. And so... He put it on and it was hideous. I mean, it, it was too big. It was like bulky and it was sort of not attractive. Um, but the jacket itself was just really cool. And I looked at it and I think after the fitting photos even, I was like, the jacket is hideous, but <laughs> but there could be a really cool version of this. And that's when I started making it and, and, and turning it into more of like an 80s cut pattern. And we started from scratch and we just started building a jacket that had these inset sleeves and these straight shoulders and and I just kind of took all the best elements of that of that souvenir jacket and then molded it with with my idea and um and then we tried satin colors like you can't imagine I mean we tried every color in the rainbow during a test one day with our dp and it was tricky because we were shooting a lot of night shots a lot of night shooting a lot of dark exteriors or inside the car you know in, interior exteriors and so, you know, our DP was really worried about white and satin and shine in, in this, in the shot being distracting and really difficult to light with, which I, I felt, I felt for him. My husband is a DP. So I always, I always feel for the DPs. <laughs> and, um, and so we, you know, we were playing, we were playing. And after we did this whole day of tests where, I mean, we must've tried like every color in the, in the, in the palette of a, for satin. Um, you know, he came back and he's like, you know what, Aaron, the white is the best and I'm going to make it work. And I was like, okay, Newton Thomas Siegel, let's do this. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, Ryan and, and Nicholas were happy about it too. Um, and so we went ahead with that color. Amazing. I think one of the things that's really interesting about uh, that jacket and also I like 
how culture is influenced by films is that now there's loads of guys all dressing up like that, you know, Halloween and things like that. Oh my God, I know. Vogue called me like a couple, like a year later. and was like, so how do you feel about um, influencing uh, fashion right now, men's fashion? I was like, wow, what? It's <laughs> so cool. I think the reason that people really like it is that I guess in, in Drive, it was, he represents a bit of an outlaw. And interestingly, I think you seem to be drawn to that a little bit because also in the plane, Place Beyond the Pines, you're also designing an outlaw. And I'd like to hear what your opinion is on the notion of, I've heard you talk about silhouettes, the importance of silhouettes. How do you design an outlaw? What's the silhouette of an, an outlaw? Ooh, what's the silhouette of an outlaw? I don't think there's a silhouette of an outlaw because every outlaw is different from a different time period. <laughs> But you know what I, I mean. do know what you mean. I do know what you mean. I know. No, I totally get it. Um, I think first you're like, okay, where are we? When are we? That's like your first, the first way in to any character. And then the second question is, um, if, if you could imagine being in that place, let's say it's somewhere you've been in, in your own personal life or, or, you know, not let's say in the 1800s, but let's say it's 19. 92 um you know you kind of think back and you just think back who are the guys that were you know for example in place beyond the pines it was you know who were the guys that um that were the bad boys and that were kind of um (laughs) a little bit scary that you'd maybe cross the road to the other side if you saw them walking down the street (laughs) um yeah, you know, uh, and I think, so, I, you know, you draw on your own personal life, your own personal experiences. And then if you're researching and you're doing it with a, you know, a period piece or a future piece, you're really getting into the head of the character and into the head of the culture. And you're trying to figure out, you know, you create a backdrop to then make your outlaw be out of it. So to take it from quite powerful masculine characters to a powerful feminine character. Harley Quinn, who you've been dealing with recently on Birds of Prey, was it slightly nerve-wracking to go into it given that you were the second costume designer to be dealing with that role? Obviously, Margot Robbie had played her before. Definitely. And 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 the previous costume designer had done such a great job, uh, you know, at establishing that character in in real movie time out of, you know, comic book off the comic book so yeah there was a part there was part nerve part um you know what i thought way more about what do the fans want than i'd ever thought about in a movie before you know i wanted the fans to love it you know i actually cared what the fans liked and loved so i kind of at first like deep dove into that culture and just to learn and understand what people react to positively and negatively and to kind of um I didn't want to let them down, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I, I, you know, and then, and then I, and then I kind of approached it sort of like my second pass was, okay, let me just approach this like I would any other character. So what are the motivations of Harley Quinn? What is a daily life like for Harley Quinn? What does she struggle with? Um, who are her friends? Who are her enemies? Um, and, you know, and I, that's kind of how I jump into a character and, and Margo was really obviously the, the biggest help with that because she knew the character the most. And so we would talk about that. You know, I'd ask her those kind of questions and we'd talk about that. And she would do these great things where she'd like reenact, you know, how Harley would walk kind of. And she's like, you know, she's a kind of just like, she sees a diamond in the window and she just kind of 
takes it. And, you know, and she would like kind of, she would, she would reenact the, you know, how, how she would do it. And that really helped. I mean, those kind of things are, are everything. I love, I remember Selma Blair in, um, in a movie called the poker house that I did, um, that she would in, like in our fittings, she was always so brilliantly in character and well, actors will do it, but it'll be subtle. But she was she was really amazing at embodying the character in the moment. And I remember that was the first time I had like understood that and how much it helped the process in the fitting room and in the design of that character. So, you know, it's very collaborative in that sense. How did the caution tape jacket come to be? <laughs> gonna sound like I was very stoned when I did it but I'm, I wasn't <laughs> I trust you we were you know I was in deep like I was in deep with the research and pulling all this reference imagery it was super fun it was like burning man meets raver meets roller girl meets 70s like pop star meets it was just like it was like all these amazing references and um, we had walked into this cool shop. People who were good at etching with like leathers, you know, you, it, it's such a great place for that. You have all these artisans that are doing these things. So I went into one person's shop and I had seen she had made a fringe like sweater jacket with all this fringe coming off of, of, of sweater yarn. It was so beautiful the way she had made it. And it was so awesome that I, I, my assistant, Michelle Moon and I, we walked out and we sat down in this, basically like a loading, loading dock. If you can kind of picture it, like it was that kind of shop. It was like a shop next to a loading dock in like deep North Hollywood, like deep belly. And we sit there and there's like all these like ideas that are just like kind of like in our heads. We'd gotten, we'd seen all this stuff and we were looking at all these pictures and we were like, what if we did the body of that biker jacket and made it clear and we did like streamers with the arms. And it was just, that was, that was <laughs> the beginning of that idea. And then the caution tape was something I can't remember if I'd come up with it for the helmet first or the jacket first now, but she, I think it was because I was designing that helmet for the roller, the roller derby costume. And we were like trying to think of ways I wanted to, I wanted to, I wanted to like tap into that punk rock culture and that anti-establishment vibe of Harley. And I just loved the sort of the caution tape and then sort of ruining the caution tape, you know, that sort of being like establishment and then, tearing it up or spray painting over it or something to sort of like take over so we don't give a fuck basically of that of it so and that's where the caution tape came in that's awesome <laughs> and you mentioned punk rock there yeah. and i guess there is a kind of punk rock vibe to her how did the music influence you when you were doing a star is born did that also come into the costumes of definitely the guys yes in fact, sometimes I would just wait for the music before I even started this, uh, an outfit, <laughs> which was harrowing because they were writing music up until like the minute before. It was it was crazy. I mean, I will tell you that I really thought many times like there is no way we're gonna like be able to shoot that scene. Like, what what's the music? Who, what is it? So it was 
crazy the way it came together and obviously so brilliantly so um but yeah you know we were everything depended on the music you know whether it was like what kind of rock star was um bradley's character you know what kind of singer songwriter what did did ali start out as and you know it it always you know figuring out who ali was like pre pre pop star was a really fun um adventure and figuring out and actually karen murphy and i the the production designer i would go over to her house that she was renting in la at the time and we would just sit there and really try to like create a character i mean I'd never really done it so in tandem with a production designer. It was kind of a cool experience. And Karen and I were friends and actually our daughters are friends and they were playing, you know, outside in the backyard. And we were sitting there going like, do you think she'd be like leopard print? You know, and we would just be like sharing pictures. She'd be pulling off of her computer and I'd be pulling off of my computer. We'd be like, and we were just like, we were just like massaging out a character really. And uh, it was great. Oh, it definitely came across on the screen. How was your first meeting with Gaga? The first, the first fitting. Oh my god, terrifying! Uh, we we met. We had a meeting first, so Karen and I went together to her house. <laughs> Daunting. Super funny. I mean, I've been to many actors' homes before, but this experience was definitely a little bit different. Uh, I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't actually. We sat down in a kitchen and we looked at all the imagery that I had put together and Karen had put together. And we really just talked about stuff. And Stephanie's great. She was like, we, we, we could communicate so easily. We're, I think like from similar places and like both grew up in New York. And, um, you know, we talked a lot about like sort of the New York, like music scene and, during that time and um yeah we really just talked about artists and different kinds of artists and different kinds of sounds and different kinds of clubs in downtown new york and um yeah that was it, it was nice it was great did you find it hard having your lead actor also as your director was that a difficult balance oh my gosh i actually found it way easier <laughs> oh, really? well because oftentimes i'm actually dancing between so Less approval. Yeah, in a way. Think about it. Yeah. You know, I mean, we have this very delicate, as costume designers, we have this very delicate, like, balancing act of, like, director, fulfilling director, and also fulfilling actors, you know, wants and needs, and then my own. So we've got this, you know, and a DP sometimes weighing in, um, and a production designer doesn't usually weigh in like that, but but it'll still affect the process, you know? And so we, it's, that's, a, it's actually like a miracle that we actually get costumes approved. If you think about how many people's opinions have to sort of approve this one outfit or this one look. And so, you know, and actors obviously very, feel very personal towards it. They are in literally wearing it. So it, you know, you don't want to, you don't want them to feel bad or sad about something. And then, you know, it's the director's vision. So you want to make sure they're fulfilled. And then I have to feel good about it because it's my work. So it's a very, um, it's a very tricky thing. So with Bradley, it was just one less. <laughs> it was very simple. It was very simple. I mean, I, I think it was, it was, it was great, you know, and we, and we also had to, you would think it would be like straight shot, but it wasn't. I mean, my first fitting with Bradley, I put him in, I was like, I did tight leather pants, tight, low waisted leather pants, like a la Zeppelin and like tight, low, like slinky shirts i mean i had a totally different vibe for him and then and we liked it actually I and mean, then it looked amazing on him but 
you know, it just wasn't right for the music once the music started to come through. So, we, you know, mm. we evolved and we massaged it and we evolved and evolved and evolved. <laughs> That's awesome. Now, I'm going to ask one more question before we go into our quick fire because we haven't got too much sure. time. And I like to ask my guests if there's anything you would like to change about the industry, what would you like to change? I think there should be a better process for newcomers to come in. The PA process is sort of messed up now because I can't hire PAs on studio films, uh, really. Or you're allowed to hire one, but because you you are allowed to have, to have one in your department, that one usually has like two years experience. I mean, if you're on a big movie, you have one position of a PA to fill. That PA better be really good. You know, like you can't groom somebody if you're you've got that one position. So I... I, you know, when I was coming up, it was better. You could have a couple of PAs. They were supporting the rest of the department, um, but they got to see and touch and do everything. And so, yeah, it's really hard now, the the rules. I mean, it was meant to like protect PAs, but I think in some ways it, it harms the process. So, you know, I don't know what the solution is, but but currently it's very hard for newcomers to come in. That's interesting. And particularly for the people who listen to this, now, to finish it up, I'm going to do my little quick fire questionnaire, which is my own, exactly, bullet, bullet, bullet. And uh, it's my homage to In the Actors Studio, which I pres- presume you've seen before. Yeah. So Great. say whatever comes into your head. Are you ready, Erin Benick? Let me take a drink of water, Mike Battle. By the way, where did you get that last name? I mean, that is, I mean, parents, <laughs> but could you tell me a little bit about it? It's incredible. My dad is from an Irish family and they're all battles. Mm-hmm. But there's lots of battles in America, lots of pastors in Central America, Central being Central US. Yeah. Oh, interesting. I don't know. Yeah. I haven't come to a battle before. I'd remember. (laughs) Okay. I am ready. Okay. Let's do it. Number one, what is the best piece of advice you've ever been given? Um, Meditate. Tim Ferriss. Number two, (laughs) do you have a favorite film? Um, yes. Oh my God. I'm literally blanking on it in this exact second, but Ryan Gosling did the remake of it with Denis Villeneuve. Help me. Blade Runner. Thank you. I don't know why I always want to say like Battlestar Galactica, but no, it is my favorite movie. Blade Runner, the original with Sean Young. I absolutely adore that film. Everything about it from the realistic future history, historical future of it. I love it. And there's a second part to that question, which is if our listeners were to have listened to you today and then watch one of your movies tonight, what should they watch? Loving. It's just very prescient for this time in America right now, anyway. And um, it's a beautiful story about uh, Richard and Mildred Loving being able to get married as a black woman and a white man in America in the 60s. Awesome. Number three, what gives you a reason to get out of bed every day for an early call time, if any at all? <laughs> I know I haven't done one in so long because of COVID. I'm thinking about how it's going to be so hard. <laughs> uh, I think, you know, your crew needs you there. You just think about your sick customers setting up for the day and your onsets and then going out of what is she wearing? What, 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 with it? What jewelry? What, 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 what is, what's going to happen? You know, you have to be there. Number four. Which job in the industry would you do if you weren't doing yours? Writer. Cool. Number five, if you could work with one person, living or dead, who would it be? This is a big one, I know. Denis Villeneuve. 
I'm so excited to see uh, the movie that they did Dune, uh, Dune with Kurt and Bart were the costume designers of it. And I, from the trailers, I literally, my mouth was like watering, like just like drool was coming out of the side of my mouth. It looks so beautiful. <laughs> I'm so excited to see it. Amazing. Number six, what is a book that everyone should read? Sapiens. And finally, if you won an Oscar, who would you thank? Um, so there is this woman, Jay Zimmett at Penguin Books, who at the time when I quit Penguin to go actually commit to doing film, she said to me, thank me at the Oscars, number one. And number two, she gave me freelance work, book design work to do at home. So at night and the weekends when I wasn't working in the movies, I was book designing and I was still able to make money doing that so I could make ends meet between the two jobs. So I would thank Jay Zimmett. She has actually since passed, sadly, but um, I'd still thank her. And my parents, because... Good catch. Thanks, right? (laughs) My mom and my dad um, for giving me the drive and for supporting me along the way. Wonderful. And on that note, that brings us to a close of our interview. Thank you so much for your advice for juniors listening and also an insight into both indie film darlings and massive motion pictures. Thank you so much, Erin Benick. Thank you for listening to another episode of Red Carpet Rookies. To help us grow, please do subscribe and drop us a rating on the Apple Podcast Store on your iPhone or online if you're an Android user. And of course, any support via our Patreon page or merch is amazing. So if you'd like to help, please do head to redcarpetrookies.com and follow the links. If you'd like regular updates of what's going on, you can also follow Red Carpet Rookies on Instagram and Facebook or RC Rookies Pod on Twitter. Have a great day and we'll see you next time.